and we are back for another par train, a ride unlike any other. What's up, guys and gals? This is Evan Singer. It is just me this episode. Cermak uh, and Stratton couldn't make the trip to Orlando. Um, we're posting an old interview we did a couple weeks ago at the PGA show um, with Keith Bank. Um, this interview is fascinating because if you've ever heard someone say that a jack-of-all-trades is not necessarily a positive thing. You should figure out what you do and you should specialize in one thing. Yeah, they're wrong, okay? I'm personally thinking of myself as kind of a jack-of-all-trades, so this was refreshing to um, talk to someone like Keith. He probably has one of the most successful slash diverse backgrounds I've ever heard of um, and had the pleasure to meet. So let me start with that. Let me give you a little bit of context of his background. Um, and then I'll highlight a little bit of what we cover. So this was a short interview. I only had about 25, 20 minutes with him, but listen to this resume. So he's the founder and chief executive officer um, and managing partner at KB Partners. It's a venture capital firm since 1996. He was the founder and now chairman of Club Champion. It's the number one premium club fitter nationally. Jordan Spieth just became an ambassador this year, so you'll probably see commercials with him. Um, he was also the producer for Tommy's Honor, uh, the movie that takes you through the story of old Tom and young Tom Morris and um, the birth of, of golf, basically. He was the secretary of the Illinois Venture Capital Association, co-founded and served on the board of uh, an analytics company. He's been in real estate. He's sold properties over 3 million square feet with a value in excess of 650 million. Even co-founded a discount retail chain. He led a turnaround of a women's apparel manufacturing company. I mean, this is a lot. And he seems to be successful at every step. Um, so, And he's a golf addict, just like you and me. So basically... This was super fascinating because we go into life lessons, business lessons, uh, personal development lessons, all the way to how the hell you make St. Andrews look like the 1800s when you film it um, in the modern day era. And the story of old Tom and young Tom, I think there's a lot of interesting tidbits there that I didn't know. Um, and so... Yeah, I think this is super interesting. I think there's a lot of things that a lot of people can learn from and benefit from and um, be entertained at the same time. So buckle up and enjoy. Okay, and we're back for another park train. We got Keith here um, after the illustrious long resume that I gave um, in the introduction. The first things first, I always like asking this. Um, what makes golf an addiction? For you personally? I think there's a couple of things. One, um, I was a former athlete, football, baseball, basketball, and I've had 18 orthopedic surgeries. I can't really do any of those things anymore. So um, I'm pretty competitive and I like to have something to compete with. So it's a nice thing to be able to just go out and play a sport, which is you know, a love of mine sports. I think the second thing is it's a great escape from the hassles of day-to-day -day life and the pressures are just out in nature and you're walking for four, four and a half hours enjoying game unless you're playing really bad then maybe you're not enjoying it as much and i just think that the whole the sportsmanship the camaraderie the friendships i've made through the game you can relate to you can spot a golfer a mile away and they'll do anything for you and it's just a fraternity it's a silent fraternity that no one really talks about but they're just a different mostly a different breed and i just really like that 
and you think the fraternity is almost created from this understanding that it took so long to actually get good at something so difficult or it's that general understanding or what do you think it is that makes golfers understand each other? I think other it's so a combination. Well? I think people understand how difficult the game is and they can relate to other people's struggles and challenges with the game. I think there's uh, just, a, just a kindred spirit that people like, um, you know, certain things about the game, that, you know, the rules and the gentlemanliness and the, um, you know, the ability to really bond with people over a long period of time. You can't really do that playing pickup basketball or you know other sports and and i just think it's a, it's it's a one-of-a-kind game and you can never get too good at it so you know no matter how good you are you can always get better and uh, i don't know wh what it is but you know it's like a drug it's an addiction and people that, yeah. that get bitten they, they get bitten and they get bitten hard and yeah. it never goes away yeah for sure uh what have you learned from golf i know you've had a lot of different experiences in business but is there anything you've learned from golf that's helped you and in life slash business or what have you learned in life or business that's maybe helped you in golf so i think that golf um has taught me kind of patience i very busy guy and juggle a lot of balls and have a lot of stress on a daily basis and i think just the idea of being out there and slowing down and when i'm out there i honestly forget about everything i don't think about business i don't think about family i don't think about you know anything that's going on in the day I'm just out there and, and it's you know kind of an escape so it, it's I think it's taught me in the rest of my life to maybe you know kind of stop and smell the roses a little bit more and um, you know business I think teaches you a lot about golf as well because I think business is all about people and relationships and being able to get along with people and you know, I think negotiation is about getting along with people and I think partnerships are about getting along with people and I think, you know, on the golf course, you see all kinds of personalities and um, you have to be able to get along with a lot of different people's pace of play and the way they play the game and if they swear or don't swear, or if they drink or don't drink or whatever they're doing. So, uh, you know, I'd say it's kind of a microcosm of life. So I think it's, it's a good, uh, it's, it's, it's a good uh, way to really understand, I think, business and golf, a lot of, there are a lot of, lot of parallels. Yeah. And your background, obviously, is super diverse, right? And I think a lot of people assume that, you know, I got to pick a major and that's going to determine what I do in life and what I do in my first job, third job, kind of dictates what your career looks like. And I think I was wondering, based on the diversity of your background, do you have any advice for people, even being a movie producer, right? Like, do you have any advice for people that are still looking for that thing that is their life's purpose. 100%. I mean, I get calls from people all the time, from undergrads to grad students to people who have gone through two, three jobs. I just believe you follow your passion. If you're passionate about something, the financial spoils will follow. And if you're not passionate, you don't like getting up and going to work and doing, they aren't going to follow. The success isn't going to follow. And I've, you know, out of college, I took a corporate job for three months and decided I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wasn't cut out for the corporate world and wanted to, and I've gone off on many, many, many tangents and done many different things, um, sometimes to my family's chagrin and sometimes to their excitement, but it's what makes me tick. I, I, I like taking on new challenges. I like meeting new people. I like doing... So the film that I produced was not about making money. It was about love of the game and telling a story that not many people knew about. And I was glad to hear that you really didn't know much about the story and you consider yourself a golf aficionado. I do the same thing. I read the book and I just kind of fell in love with it and said, this is an amazing story that has never been told. And 
how great would it be to be able to put it on the screen? So, uh, and a lot of other things I've done in my career too have just been about, oh, that would be an interesting idea. I, if other people can do that, I can do that too. Yeah. You know, like I quit another job to produce my first film back when I was 25, 26 years old. And my boss said, what do you know about making a movie? And I said, nothing, but you know, I go to one every two weeks or so. I'll figure, I'll figure it out. And I'm the same boss who had rehired me again after making that first film. I quit on him again about 10 years later to start a venture capital firm. And he said the same thing. What do you know about the venture capital business? I said, not much, but I'll figure it out. It can't be that hard. And so yeah. it's kind of, kind of, and he's now still a dear friend and he's invested in almost every one of my deals. And so it's, you know, it's kind of interesting. So talk to me about that process. You read the book of Tommy's Honor, and how did you, what were the first few steps? How did you figure out how to make the movie happen? Well, it was actually a little bit different than that. So I was uh, introduced to someone who had optioned the rights to the book, um, Jim Kreutzer, and a mutual friend said, you got to meet this guy. I said, what about? He said, about a movie. I said, I'm not interested in a movie. <laughs> Called me about three weeks later. I said, no, you really got to meet this guy. I said, no, I'm still not interested. Thanks. The third time I relented and I met with him and he sat down and said, just read the book. Tell me what you think. And I read the book and uh, Jason Connery, who ended up directing the film, Sean's son, flew in from L.A. to kind of pitch me on getting involved. And I just read the book. I said, wow. And uh, I had sworn after producing my first film 20-some-odd years earlier, 30 years earlier, that I would never, ever do it again. And I promised my wife I would never, ever do it again. But I came home that day and I said, guess what? She said, don't tell me. I said, yeah, I'm going to do it again. And uh, I just, you know, I love the sport. I love the history. Um, I thought that you know, it just was going to be a legacy and something, and it's, you know, it's going to start playing on the Golf Channel in September for the next 10 years, so it'll be fun. They'll probably show it 8,000 times, like <laughs> the greatest game ever played. Yeah. Bagger Vance will be neat, and hopefully it'll be around for 50 years, and my kids and grandkids can say, oh, my dad, you know, made that movie. So, yeah. uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun. I got to live in Scotland for two and a half months, which I'd never lived anywhere for that period of time in a foreign country, so it was a neat cultural experience. I really loved the people over there. And uh, got to play a lot of great golf courses on the weekend when we weren't shooting, and to meet a lot of interesting people, and then put together three premieres from all over the country. We did our original at the Golf Hall of Fame, which was neat. We had a lot of interesting folks involved. Jim Furyk was there to introduce the film. Then we had a premiere in New York and a premiere in Chicago. And did them for charity, and we raised a lot of money for charity. So a lot of good things came out of it. It was a critical success. It wasn't a big financial success, but that, again, that wasn't the reason I did it. Where did you live? Was it in Presswick? Or I lived, uh, we moved around a little bit, but I primarily lived in Edinburgh when okay. we were shooting the film. And I want to give the listeners a preview of the story, because as we were talking on our way up here, um, I didn't, I thought I knew all about old Tom and young Tom, and I think I knew mostly that they won all these open championships and they designed all these famous courses um, where the game was created, but I didn't understand how it worked where they were selected for these matches and they only got a piece of what the more wealthy yep. people were, were betting on them and young Tom was kind of a, a rebel. I'd love to, for you to just yeah, give a bit of background. Yeah, so a lot, of, a lot of interesting things come out in the story. So young Tom was really the Tiger Woods of his day. He hit it way longer than anybody else. He had this swagger. He was this handsome, dashing guy and he kind of took the golf world by storm by winning all these championships in a row and Back in the day, they were second-class citizens. Uh, you know, his dad was a greenskeeper. They weren't allowed to set foot in the clubhouse. They were really, you know, an afterthought. 
and uh, basically the wealthy gentry would bet on them and they'd place a bet and if they won they would get a little piece of the winnings and young Tom one day just finally said like this isn't right all these people are coming to watch me play they're not coming to watch you gamble on me from now on I'm going to hold the money and I'm going to give you a piece of the winnings and he basically said if not I'm not going to play and he eventually got the gentry the gentleman to agree to that and, and really all these athletes in the modern day, there was no such thing as football or basketball or baseball back then, the whole idea of kind of free agency and, and you know, they owe a debt of gratitude. He was the first guy to stand up and say, pay me for what I'm worth, they're coming to watch me, and you know, really set the tone for modern day athletes. Yeah, I just want to paint this picture for a second. You've got a, at this time, I don't know if he had won three or four in a row, but he goes, he goes into was it now the RNA building? I yes, guess. Yes. Um, storms into the building. This guy's a four-time straight open champion that's never done it before, and these people are saying you're not allowed in this clubhouse. And then he demands that he gets all the money, um, and then he can decide that what piece they get. I just thought that that was like such a memorable moment that I didn't expect. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, you know, we obviously weren't there back in the day, so we don't know if we took any creative liberty. <laughs> But that was the gist of what happened. Yeah. So, um, talk about how you take a modern day St. Andrews and these courses and make them look like they're back in the 1800s. So we did major scouting all over the country because the current RNA building is different than the one that existed in the day. There have been several additions, and it's weathered and aged, and it's got signs all over it. There's cars in the background, and you know those didn't exist back in the 1800s. It's like a public park. It is. So we found a piece of ground in an area called Valcaris, which was about 45 minutes away on the sea, and we envisioned as it might have looked back in the day. The courses were much rougher. The greens were like, uh, you know, the fairways now, and the, and the right. fairways were like the rough now. I mean, right. it, was just, it was just a different way. So we hired a greenskeeper from St. Andrews, and we created two golf holes on this big was a cow pasture. We plowed the cow, moved all the cows out, got rid of the cow dung, plowed the field, planted greens, and, and we had to, it takes time, you don't just grow a green overnight. And uh, we actually built the RNA clubhouse, or at least the facade of what it would have looked like back in the day. And I think we did a pretty, you know, great job. You can do a lot of movie magic. There's a snow scene, I don't want to ruin the movie, but there's a snow scene in created artificial snow on a 60 degree day and everyone's like acting like they're shivering cold <laughs> and it comes off as I think very very believable so yeah. it was uh, it was a lot of you know creativity from more of the technical people who figured out you know how to how to shoot this and make it look you know 100 plus years old so on set how hands-on were you because going back to a lesson for people that want to try something that they have no experience in did you have your creative liberties or did you kind of let the director and everyone else um, you know, were, were there something that I really felt strongly about, a scene that I just didn't think was the way it might have been, or I would give my opinion, but it really, I was more the financial, uh, the negotiator, the distribution rights, the, you know, making sure all the contracts were done properly, making sure the budget came in on budget, on time. I was there on a daily basis, but, you know, the director really needs to have his creative liberties and his relationships with the talent and the actors mm -hmm. and actresses to, uh, you know, make it their film, so to speak. But it definitely had significant input in the editing room as to how we want to, because you shoot, you know, many, many, many hours that right. get whittled down and, uh, you know, got my got my way in a few circumstances and other times I didn't, but, you know, it's, it's a creative, you know, collaborative process and I think the end product speaks for itself. 
what thing do you think people can learn from young Tom? Again, I think follow your dreams. These guys were poor as church mice. They were, um, you know, not treated very well. Uh, you know, he turned himself into not only a great golfer, but he turned himself into a, you know, respected person in the community and, um, you know, was able to, you know, we're still talking about him today. So it's a, yeah. kind of a neat thing. And going back to business for a second and how many different things you have, what's the key for you to balance and manage so many different things? I think being organized is really important. Um, I think you have to spend time on the things that are most important, although I do sweat a lot of the details because I think you do have to be detail-oriented. You can't be everything to everybody. You have to be able to delegate a little bit. That's not maybe one of my greater strengths because I like to control a lot of things and uh -huh. figuring I do it better and do it right and but um, I just think you have to have a passion for it everything I do nothing feels like work it's I, I get up every day excited to go tackle the day I, when I go to sleep I wish I still had more time to, to do some things I wanted to get done and I and I enjoy it um, if you like I said if you don't enjoy what you're doing it, it's drudgery and it seems like work and um, I've been fortunate that I've been able to work in areas that I enjoy, and I've picked areas that I that I enjoy. What was your favorite course to play in Scotland? Favorite course in Scotland is probably the old course. I mean, I was prepared to be disappointed because whenever anything is built up so great, but I just there's just so much history and it's so much fun. And you can do so many shots. You can play in the air. You can play on the ground. Um, and I played it before. Um, I'm one of these nuts trying to play the top 100 courses in the world and in mm -hmm. the U.S. So I, I made several pilgrimages before. <laughs> so I played all the world top 100s in Scotland and Ireland. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of little neighborhood courses that you know, people haven't heard a lot about that are just fun, too, that you just go out and you meet some really interesting people. Yeah. I think one of my funniest experiences, my son was 16 years old. I took him on a trip to Scotland and Ireland, and he's a good, good player. And we were playing, um, of course, in Ireland, and we got paired up with two gentlemen and uh, you know, nice, fun guys. And when we're done, we wanted to go see the Cliffs of Moher, which were like a half hour away from where this course was. And the guy says, "Here's the keys to my car. Just you know, go just take it and you know, bring it back." So you know, I'm driving on the wrong side of the street on these really narrow. You know, I'm worried about you know, killing myself and my son. We drive there. We spent like two hours there walking around. We drive back. And the guys are still drinking in the in the pub, and I uh, said, "I oh, just leave the you know leave the keys on the seat." So this total stranger gave me his Mercedes to go drive. He didn't know me from Adam, and that's just the way there. And you know, we came back, and you know, a couple hours later, they're still in the pub, and just leave the keys on the seat. And okay, thanks. It was really really interesting. That's funny. Um, yeah, I've I've played St Andrews, and I've gone for the 2010 Open, and I've said on this podcast before that there's just something about Number one, I think everybody that's there playing, there's this amazing energy that everyone there is having one of the best days of their life. Yeah. And the people that work there know it. Right. Um, but there's also this mystique and energy to the town that is almost hard to describe that I don't think you can experience unless you go. Yeah. It's, it's historic. It's quaint. It's fun. It's got a university there, so it's got a younger vibe. Yeah. Uh, but yet you had all these, you know, historic buildings and um, just, I, I love the place. Yeah. So we've got a few minutes left. Um, I know you've had experiences all across the golf industry and you're the CEO of Club Champion. 
uh, chairman actually. Not chairman. CEO. I started it, but okay. I, I don't run it. Chairman of the of Club Champion, and um, you've got to have some at least one really good story about being in the golf industry that makes you laugh at night. Yeah, well, it's an interesting. So we, you know, we were the, the original investor in Golf.com that we sold to Time Inc. You know, back in the day, and then club champion's been really interesting and, and we're an investor in full swing golf a simulator company i think that you know we see i mean my my day job one of my day jobs is in the venture capital business and we invest at the intersection of sports and technology we see about 1500 business plans a year we maybe make three to five investments a year so it's a huge funnel and we probably see 150 to 200 golf business plans a year what really amazes me is how some of these people can a come up with some of these wacky ideas <laughs> b think it's fundable and they can make money at it and c you know work at it for two three five ten years with in many cases an unfundable you know silly idea but they're just so passionate about it yeah and and so i mean i get you know guys sending me every new putter and wedge and training aid and and launch monitor and and you know when there's already 10 of them in the market and you know, ours is better it's cheaper it's this it's that and you know it's 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 a, it's a tough space in general but um you know i i love it the, the optimism is flows eternal so when i told one of my co-hosts that we were going to talk today he obviously couldn't make it he's not here um it's both of our dreams it, people ask you like what would you do if you won the lottery and after traveling and maybe paying off things for your family, the number one thing we both say is like $100,000 simulator in our home. So I think we might have just gotten a close, a step closer to maybe making that happen. Our cars don't even cost $100,000. Okay. You can get them for less than okay. that. No, no, we, uh, I can hook you up. We, we okay. know a lot of people in the simulator business. It's, uh, it's funny. I'm going into more and more offices that have simulators actually really? in their space. and. Um, a guy just sent me a business plan from Ohio the other day, and you know we were just talking. It was a guy from Adam, I didn't know him, and we're talking, and you know he, he told me about his background. I told him about my background. I mentioned full swing golf. He said, "Oh yeah, we have one of those simulators in our office. That's great." And then I had another meeting in downtown Chicago, and they had another simulator. You know, so it's starting to become in vogue in both workplaces and in the home. I noticed Jordan Spieth is a brand ambassador now. Yeah, we were um, how did you guys decide on that, and how does a company determine if that is worth it? Because I know it costs a lot of money, right? So we were very fortunate. Um, one of our investments uh, was in a company that was founded, co-founded by Jordan's dad, Sean, and uh, Sean and I have become good friends. Terrific family, terrific guy, and through that relationship, I've gotten to know Jordan a little bit. And uh, he actually did a. He and his dad did a promotional piece as part of the movie. I don't know if you saw that, but we did a 30-minute behind-the-scenes piece on the making of the movie, and we had Jordan and his dad dress up as young Tom yeah, and old Tom and play with hickory sticks and all that. So I got to know him a little bit through that. And uh, when, as Club Champion continued to grow and we became more of a national brand, you know, we decided we wanted to get a real, you know, high-level spoke. We already had David Ledbetter and uh, Hank Haney, and uh, and I approached um, Sean and and. Uh, Jordan's agents and just said hey we have this idea and we think Jordan would be a great band brand ambassador he loves you know equipment and he's very cerebral and mm -hmm. you know he's got a great reputation just as a person and we cut a deal and uh, we actually just filmed our commercials two weeks ago down in Dallas and they're gonna hit the airwaves hopefully mid-February you'll see them hopefully on network telecasts and on the golf channel and 
bunch of print ads and golf digest and golf magazine a bunch of social stuff and we'll see the jury's out hopefully i think okay. it's going to be a really good thing for us and um could not have been nicer in the commercial shoot he worked non-stop with a smile on his face could not have been nicer to everybody it was just a you know pleasure to deal with him yeah i don't know if you can do much better than a brand ambassador than speed so and he's going to start winning playing better too it's well he's an odd year people guy are, people are a little he, bit down on him now but he's he's coming back strong yeah. his odd years he has big years so let's track him all right well thanks so much my pleasure Keith, appreciate it. i'm glad we could do this and uh safe travels yeah, back to thank Chicago. you very much thanks for having me on the show i appreciate it